0: Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the very quiet, very chilled Therapy Tales podcast from a cottage in Cullen with the wood-burning stove burning away, the dog scratching and begging to be cuddled. (laughs) And uh, with me, Dawn Walton here with Lex and on the far side of the room...
1: A very relaxed, zen... (laughs) This place is called zen cottage
0: it's called zen cottage
1: um jess yeah relax jess
0: by the sea we are not quite in visuals but where we can in... do
1: 6 a.m walks along
0: the yeah it's awesome i grew up around the sea so i'm like see <laughs> as don, i drove don into cullen and and all, everything went oh
1: don got up super early and did that and i just grumped at her
0: yeah i got i got shouted at you see i'm no- normally used to waking up and like nobody else is awake and I get up and I do my stuff and I get all sorts of stuff done and then eventually everybody wakes up maybe the cat kind of goes hi it's nice to see you has a cuddle and then begs off and leaves me to it um but obviously when I'm in a cottage that has dogs in it <laughs> the dogs went hey
1: you're awake I probably wouldn't have heard you if it wasn't for them no you wouldn't in have heard it because I'm upstairs
0: um but they all kind of went ruff, 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 ruff. who's that and then ran upstairs to say hi and legs gave me a cuddle didn't you and then Jess followed afterwards and went, grump, 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 grump. What are you doing up at six o'clock in the morning? <laughs> and then grumped away back to bed. And then I got up and I went out. I'm like, like leaving her to it. So I went to the, the
1: bathroom right next to your room. Which it is. is it it is. It. Yeah, you had to
0: come upstairs. So, um, yeah, um, spent about an hour, sat down by the sea. Unfortunately, ended up watching all the people with all the dogs. <laughs> like we're walking people dog- watching <laughs> well people watching and then at that time in the morning you've got all the people who are walking their dogs because there's nobody else around but that means that the only people out walking are people with dogs so by definition you probably have dogs around so the first one was um a couple with their collie and they were throwing the ball for it all really cool but a woman was obviously finishing her walk with her two retrievers and the two retrievers were very retrieverish. So they were like, hi, 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 and came running up. But the, the couple with the collie were just like, oh, hi, retrievers, hi, hi, hi. So they all had a hi, hi, hi moment. And then they went off onto the beach. And then I was just sitting there watching people. And there were a couple of joggers, one with a couple of dogs that stopped. And then there was a guy who walked like from way down the other side of the beach, like a really long way away. And there was just some little like a Romanian rescue or something like that. And it just absolutely pelted like full speed. It spotted these dogs on the far side of the beach and it was just running. It absolutely sprinted all the way to the dogs and then it started circling them and herding them. And um, the guy hadn't noticed it because he was so far away. He was behind the rocks. As he came around the rocks, he started noticing it. He started walking towards it. And uh, then he started trying to get hold of it, but he didn't want to be got hold of because he was having this great game trying to wind up all the other dogs. And he ended up kind of walking around after it, trying to catch it, which he failed to do. And when he eventually did, he just had it on a lead and just was stomping back up the beach afterwards. So he obviously had a very pleasant walk that morning. <laughs> I just sat there going, waves. We'll have to take
1: the three Daxes with you tomorrow and see, see what chaos you can yeah. down there. Yeah, the <coughs> problem
0: is they don't listen to me. So I don't want to be part of the chaos. I want to observe the chaos from a distance. So have my zen moment with the waves, just me and the waves talking to each other. So that that was fine. So then Thanks. I came back and I went and got coffee or stuff for a coffee and breakfast.
1: When did your workshops today?
0: You had a talk and a workshop. Talk and a workshop, yeah, in in Bucky. What
1: was the um topic?
0: Uh, well, the talks the same is always the same topic, which is the we're all screwed up, and so I always start with the thing about they say one in four people has a mental health problem, which means three and four don't, which is clearly not true, and I'm going to explain to you why, and then at the end I always kind of go so. How many of you think one in four people has a mental health problem at all? Like no way. Um, so it's, it was quite fun. There was a really engaged audience. Lots of uh, lots of good listening and interactions and fun stuff.
1: And you had a workshop this afternoon. Yeah, I was there and then for that
0: one. you know, like it wasn't enough. It's like really draining doing these things because I make sure I'm on and make very it interesting. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I wanted to do a workshop. So this was in the Health Haven in Bucky, which is kind of a hub for different types of therapies. Um, The lady who runs it, Leah, is a sports massage therapist, but has all sorts of... She also
1: does tarot reading. Yeah, she does tarot reading. (laughs)
0: There's yoga and there's there's stuff to do with um, all sorts of different... Health and, yeah. yeah, yeah, therapies there. Alternative therapies. It's a a really lovely... It's got such a lovely vibe and such a lovely atmosphere there. And she just... um, just lets people use it and has people come in and do whatever type of therapies they are so it creates this re- really nice health haven's a good name for it because it's a really nice place
1: and your number one fan organized it yes,
0: yes. <laughs> chelsea is uh is a consumer of the product over there and uh and most people have like read my book and everything so it's always kind of interesting wow. when people have read That's your book cool. and um yeah. So uh, so the second part of it was for people like that who have to deal with things that get uncovered when, you know, it's a safe person to talk to very often, your massage therapist or... Um, so these very, are
1: all people that are working with people who are talking to them about yeah, mental health.
0: Yeah, their stuff, stuff. their yeah. stuff and the their stuff. And so the idea was, um, one of the ideas that I've been developing is help support the people who do the support, right? Make um, more people trauma-informed, make more people know um, how to not make things worse and how to help or, you know, at best, do nothing, uh, make no difference. Um, well, one so- of the
1: things that you were talking about today in the workshop was um, that it's really important to understand when we have a, a therapist or a psychologist or a counsellor who says? Oh, that's really bad. What happened to you? That's terrible. That's um, I've never come across that before. That it reinforces and makes the, the idea bigger, and also the chemistry that's released at that time, is reinforced. So it becomes yep. every single time it's brought forward, it becomes a bigger and bigger thing.
0: Yeah, we we can't remember everything that happens to us. We we just don't have enough space in so our brain.
1: Irrelevant, but the meaning of memory it's can the... release chemistry. Yep. That that is um. Well, it's always going to be really? negative, essentially, most of yeah. the time. Most, But really bad for our immune system and... and
0: Massive knock-on well, effect. Yeah. A state of stress is designed as a survival state. And so your whole physiology when you're in a survival state is designed for surviving an attack by a tiger. So it's a very different idea of physiology. Even if you take something as simple as pain... The idea, if you're running away from a tiger and you stand on something sharp, you shouldn't stop and go, ow, that really hurt, that ooh, ow, 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 because the tiger would catch up with you and eat you. Um, however, when you've stopped running and you're in your recovery state, if you've got a gash or something in your leg, you need to give it all your attention because your next survival risk is infection. The last survival risk are longer term things like diseases and things like that that you, you need to fight. So so your, your body has kind of a priority scale. Am I in a survival risk just now? Have I just come out of a threat and I need to readjust? Or am I in my steady state and I can just do normal balance of the body? So it's all based on your brain interpreting a situation and saying, is it safe or not? And so what happens in different types of therapies, we can release stuff, we can unlock stuff. Acupuncture is really good for unblocking some of the stored trauma and things like that. But then you have to do something with it once it's flooding your system. And and I think sometimes it's really scary for us when somebody gets upset or when somebody tells us stuff that's almost horrific sometimes to us. And we're human. And if you're in a caring profession, you're human and you really care. And it's hard to see somebody hurt. So our instinct is to go, oh, wow, that's really upsetting. Or maybe even cry and engage with it. But it's their story, not yours. And what they find upsetting about it is unlikely to be the same as you because you're matching to your own experiences. So our brain, each individual person has a brain that has been running an algorithm to say what is and isn't safe.
1: And most counsellors, I can think of quite a few off the top of my head, um, are really nice, compassionate people mm-hmm. who Absolutely. will, you know, make the right noises, who will give the right facial expressions, will inhale and and so they want to give compassion. Mm-hmm. But what you're what you're suggesting is that they're actually reinforcing the negative associations of the problem by being compassionate. What they should do instead is be neutral and just go, OK, sorry that happened to you. but
0: Yeah, you know. it's, it's accepting without diminishing. So we don't need to automatically reframe and say, well, if you look at it this way and try and fix it, because that's diminishing it. Okay. So we don't want to say this is not a valid experience. But we also equally don't want to say, gosh, that's a far worse experience than you're telling me it is. Um, You must have been severely traumatized. How are you coping with it? So um, (coughs) I've had clients come to me where a psychologist, a kind of head of psychology department has said, that is the most traumatic thing I have ever heard. Please don't pick up the log with your fingers.
1: That's okay, it's just a dead bit.
0: It's not okay. <laughs> that, that's talking. not what the psychologist said. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been, I suppose, but Jess is, uh, is restocking the... Uh... You always
1: have to marry. Like, just let me do my thing.
0: We're on a podcast.
1: We're, we're, I know, but we're like, you know, we're listening to you. It was all nice, and I got distra- you got distracted. I do.
0: I get distracted. It's, it's my t-
1: job to be the shiny thing, distraction person.
0: <laughs> well, you're doing a bad job because you're distracting me by nearly bending your fingers, so that's fail. Um, so, yeah, this psychologist, who was like a head of a psychology department, had actually cried and said, that is the worst trauma I have ever heard of. Um, you should make a film out of that, or something like that. So my client comes to me with... I've had this trauma and it's so bad. It's so bad that a psychologist has said to me it's the worst they've ever heard and cried when I told them, so I don't want to tell you what my trauma is. And I said, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Which was, um, I think, a slightly unexpected um, thing because I'm like, it's your trauma. So it's not relevant for you to tell me about it. You don't have to tell me about it. that's
1: not really... um normal people expect that when they go to a therapist they're going to have to talk about the stuff which yep. most people find really hard to even contemplate having to bring that all up again yeah yeah i mean
0: to, and to do it again and again i mean again is a key word here right because every time you see somebody new you have to talk it through and i think there's some expectation that um we should talk about our stuff to clear it we should um but you don't believe that yeah that's necessary. no I, I don't believe so because i've seen people who Um, Stand up on stage and tell their story to inspire others how you can overcome stuff But every time they tell their story they have to relive it if you think of any memory that is not great Don't choose a really bad one, but if you think of any Not great memory even a more recent one where you had a row with somebody or something if you think about it Your state's gonna change you're gonna go into that state and actually what happens is we have the benefit of hindsight when we think about it again. So we have more information, more perspective. It can be even worse, can't it? It can be a lot worse. Um, (coughs) Very often one of the things I I talk to people about is, we've talked before about how we learn all this stuff as we grow up, and and all these kind of critical memories get locked in by the age of 16. But the brain's not developed till mid-twenties. So what happens in your late twenties, early thirties, with a fully developed brain, you reflect back on all these things that happened as a child. And then you now judge yourself for all the things you think you should have done as a child and didn't do as a child. And quite often, if somebody's going to have a breakdown, they'll have it late twenties, early thirties, because their brain kind of kicks into understanding. They're
1: making more sense of it. They're
0: making happened. more sense of it. And that makes it really big. Because at the time, certain things at, at worst were confusing. You don't understand them at the time, but when you understand them, it's like horrible.
1: So um, earlier you were talking as well about, you know, obviously I've, I've been involved with a few friends and clients who've done work with you and they can go through um, a period of withdrawal from dopamine because the, the old behaviour of coping mechanisms, um, so something would trigger them and they would, they've standardised their coping mechanisms from a really young age but you're taking that away from them initially. Yeah. So they go through a period of withdrawal because that dopamine that they would get released from that, they can't get it anymore. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really tricky one to help somebody understand that hasn't experienced it. So it depends on the scale of your experiences, but very often we end up very internal in a permanent survival state, which means we're not interacting with the world, we're not kind of... Often things don't register as much. Like, for example, I I say, I was probably bullied at school, but I don't remember it, to be honest with you. I don't remember the way people treated me because compared to what was going on inside in my internal world, that was nothing. Nobody could touch me. So um, I sailed through without worrying about any of that stuff. Um, and, And so this happens is that your internal world can be so much bigger scale than everything external to you that you just don't register all that other stuff when we reframe things and you get released from that, then you kind of go, well, what should I do now? Because your brain's really used to the way you respond. You know the way you respond. You get this massive dopamine rush for just responding in a certain way that you've responded to before. Not a good, not a bad thing, just a, a familiar response. And then we change things. And now you feel uncomfortable because you don't recognize yourself. You don't you suddenly start worrying about things you've not worried about before. And actually, you kind of have to own your stuff now because you can't blame it on that thing because that thing's no longer relevant. So I have, I've had a few clients lately who go, um, I keep procrastinating. And I've never procrastinated before because I've just kept going. I've never had a problem. I just like automatically keep do- going. I run on adrenaline. But now I can't make myself do stuff. And I don't know why I can't make myself do stuff. And it's like, well, you have to choose now. Actually, if you actually choose to do stuff. You have to learn like time management techniques and things like that. And and they're like, can I have the old me back? Because I've got loads of stuff done. <laughs> not really. You can't do that. So um, there is a journey to go on and it, it's unfamiliar and it can make you feel a bit vulnerable sometimes. And as a result, you focus on the stuff that is still not changed.
1: And so um, pushing through that, what we need to do, and, and there's obviously a parallel with with dogs and, and reinforcing the new behaviors um, so my, my brain when you were talking about this earlier was thinking about in a dog um, I know what the current behavior is that we're trying to change you know I work yep. a lot with reactive aggressive you know hostile dogs um, and what I'm trying to do is create a new set of behaviors and I'll often um, before I even touch the the aggression I'll try and introduce some new behaviours that I want to do instead, so, yes. we're so we call them alternate behaviours so we need a pattern interrupt, a yep. change of state, and then we can refer to this new behaviour, yes. so do this instead but um, with the human, they have to create the new bunch of um, behaviours after, so they've got this period of nothing, because you've taken yep. away the old coping mechanisms yep. and you're, they're having to rebuild from scratch, and there's nothing really that can prep you for that there so isn't got this space of you know I can't get dopamine from the old behavior it doesn't exist anymore I need to create new ones but I've not enough time yet.
0: Yeah, there isn't anything. There's nothing I can do because I can't know what those changes are going to be. There's it's hard to give them something to do because they can't know what the changes are going to be because they've never been that version of them before.
1: So you have to just like kind of let nature take its course and have them have inter interactions with people and life yep. and learn. So we learn by some doing. Examples of, of those just for people who
0: um <laughs> well we we learn by doing, not by thinking um <laughs> Doozy just came under the cable <laughs> like, okay, um so um, one of the things that happens is, so I always leave it two weeks between the first and the second session.
1: Is there a particular reason why that time is relevant?
0: Yes, because in my experience from doing this many times. Two weeks is about the amount of time it takes them to experience the initial rush of changes, which I call a high, right? And then to um, experience the reaction of losing the dopamine because the dopamine was for the familiar behaviours. And so and the minute they do that stop anymore. doing the... Well, it's not even they can't. The minute they change their behaviours and they experience this initial rush of, wow, this is amazing, I've got this different behaviour, then the kickback from the dopamine is bigger because they've now noticed how different it was. And it goes, oh, I don't like that. This is different. I don't like that. Um, and, you know, my theory of dopamine, I think we might have mentioned it before, is my theory is it comes from the caveman days where you had to do really rubbish things that were absolutely critical for survival. So you would get the dopamine and then you'd be going, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And then you're doing it going, oh, I hate this. What? Why am I doing this? Right. So it it was it's a drug to force you to do stuff that may be not so great. So you experience this change, you experience this rush, your brain has a kickback. It's like, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. And then because it's got the kickback, you start looking for the things that are still familiar because those are the things that give you the dopamine. And in the first two weeks, there's loads of them. So for me, what I find is two weeks is the sweet spot where they've stopped believing anything's changing. But if we catch them at that point, I can explain how dopamine works and they can go back and they can start noticing and getting new dopamine or dopamine for new behaviours. <laughs> yeah. The dog has brought a chew and is now chewing it on my shoulder. Thanks, legs. Nice. She's sharing it with you. Yeah, saying, oh. that's really sweet. Love you. Um, so so that's for me, I found that's a sweet start. And it's really hard for me because what it means is I have to start a call with a client where I ask how's it going and they go well you know it started off okay but I've not been feeling great the last couple of days you know I've been feeling a bit low and I have to go okay let me explain dopamine and then they go oh well you know I did um, I did stand in front of a room full of people and read something out that I've did or um, I did um, get in contact with that friend that I haven't spoken to for 10 years and have a coffee with them and um, yeah, I did actually raise this subject with my partner that I've never spoken to them about before. Um, and
1: why and is it that they're not registering that that's a, a major?
0: Because of the dopamine. Because it's unfamiliar and it's uncomfortable, and they don't recognise it in themselves.
1: So even though logically that thing has happened, the brain won't allow it to take allow no. them to take that as a huge positive step. No,
0: it doesn't. It it, it diminishes it's it. Fascinating. It goes. It's temporary um i've slipped Not back real. so what you hear is i've slipped back and then i just laugh which is again probably inappropriate because i'm like i am really flattered that you think <laughs> if you can hear the crunching legs is very happy with her chew and she's right next to my microphone with it i'm gonna move my microphone to the other side <laughs> <laughs> thanks legs um so <laughs> totally lost track um They um, laugh at them. Yes, they think it doesn't last. So I laugh at them and I go, I'm really flattered that you think I can change your whole life in two weeks. But if I told you before our first session that in the next two weeks you're going to stand up in front of a room full of people without any nerves, you'd have gone, ha, if you can do that, you're going to work miracles. But because of the dopamine withdrawal, because it feels uncomfortable, it feels temporary, and it doesn't feel as significant as it is, so me objectively goes, blimey, if you'd given me one of those things that you'd achieved in two that'd weeks, that would be, be mind blowing. And they're like, oh, yeah, I suppose so. Well, I also did this and I also did that. And, and, and then they tell me all these amazing things that any one of them would have been phenomenal. It's So
1: frustrating. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see how the parallel is with owners because I do have this um, initial... Like, oh, my God, you know, I'm walking the dog, I'm doing, you know, but then there there is a crash as well of, um, oh, but the old behaviour still there. And... We
0: talked about three-week crash, haven't we? Remember yeah. when we did the four-week blocks? Yeah. First week was like, oh, right, right, total freaking out when they first arrived. By the end of the first walk, they were like,
1: Oh, this is it's so possible. cool. It's so yeah. possible. We've had to start saying that it's like because uh, a lot of them just assume that that's it now. We've fixed yeah. it. it. Fixed the brain, and the, you know we've had to start saying this is a, like a movie trailer
0: sneak preview. J- yeah, it's so a sneak yet, preview.
1: Jess has been. Um, that's me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, <Jess. laughs> That I've been. Um, setting the dog up for success by the things that I've been doing in that session. So they're unlikely to do that themselves, but I'm just showing them what's achievable.
0: Yes, they they kind of attribute it to you and when they're with you, it'll be okay. But, you know, they can't do it on their own and things like that. And it doesn't happen every time. And you're just like, I I don't know what people, if you come to me before a session and you say, um, you know, firstly, all clients are like, are you sure it's only two to three sessions? I'm probably going to be different, right? So 99% of the clients that I've seen over the last like nine years, like 1,400 plus clients, have needed no more than three sessions. And the ones that have had more than three sessions have gone, This is really cool. I want to keep like doing it. it. Let yeah. me do more. Um, like a number one fan. But, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and like number one fan is just doing amazing things. So it's all cool. And you don't know which one it is now. People listening are like, Am I the number one fan? Everybody's going to think I'm the number one fan.
1: Obviously I'm the number one. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> so um right, so we've got we've got the the um a possibility in the in the owner's head of what's what's achievable, right? Um and, and you and I both get similar things. You know, I get the 99 percent of the time it's good, one percent of the time and I have this all the time. So we've both got yeah. um similar emails and, and, and sayings coming through from people, they don't quite believe it, yep. that this, this is possible. And then they do, and they see it, and then they go, oh my God, and then they go through a period of, oh my God, the old behaviour is still there. yeah um you know, And, and you, they follow patterns, but they don't actually quite believe they're going to follow anybody else's pattern, even though they all fit into that.
0: They all believe they're going to be different, right? I, I don't know what that is. I, I think maybe it's the system. Most of people who come and see you and I, have been to lots of people beforehand. We're very rarely the first choice. Um, every now and again, we are, and and those people are a lot easier to work with because they I'm don't. So have... bloody
1: lucky, I don't even know it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, most people who come and see us, and then they they put a huge amount of pressure on us because like nobody else worked so you've got to prove to me that you're going to work. And I'm like...
1: And also, can you, can you charge me less? Because I've spent thousands on other trainers. So is it okay if you just charge
0: <laughs> I had a client who'd spent £7,000 with a previous therapist. They'd not had all the sessions they'd paid for. They couldn't get a refund and it wasn't working. And they were haggling with me about my very significantly less price um, because they'd spent £7,000 with this other therapist and they couldn't get it back.
1: I think you should change your name to the last therapist. Yeah,
0: no, you do. It's got all sorts of other connotations, though. That one, but I yeah, am. People don't need to go and see anybody else after they see me. In the same way, with you, they don't need to go and see anybody else if they if they follow what we do. If they stick with us, we won't give up on them. We're not going to say no. There's no way that this can work.
1: Well, we've got a different
0: system now, right?
1: Um, well, sorry, I do for the dog training because um, I realise now that when I'm when I'm getting stuck, it's not the dogs. It's not. Then, that's the issue. The dog. It's the. Um... Yes. She's <laughs> <just> really
0: distracting. <laughs> really, the dog is like literally, legs is literally she's... chewing her chew right on my shoulder. She's like, she's so sad. very satisfied. happy, aren't you? You are. I'm just waiting for the chew and my shoulder to connect with each other. At so, the moment, it's between paws um, Yes. <sighs> Sorry, distracted by. When, when
1: I get a. An email from yes. someone, and I can clearly tell that they're needing a trainer first and then behavior second. So, you know, I got a couple in today with reactive dogs, um, and you know, I'm trying to think about what's the most um, efficient way to help them. Yes, because a behaviorist session with me is sit down, work our way through environmental stuff, do my detective yep. work, you know, it costs a bit of money, cause it's a bit of time and I get yep. a report written up and so on. But to be fair, most of the time they could do with just a trainer first to make sure they've got their grassroots stuff in place, so can your dog look at you, can your dog leave something, can your dog walk nice in the lead? trainer stuff, which yep. you know is going to cost like £40 pounds an hour or something, right? Yep. So I need that to be in place before I can do the other stuff, um, but I don't need to be the one that does it, so do you think that's acceptable for me to write to them and say, um, you know what level is the dog at and would you work with my trainer first before we tackle the reactive work or whatever it is of the, the, the problem yeah. behaviour?
0: I think it's acceptable, especially if you're saying, would you work with my trainer, not go find yourself a trainer and okay. do this work first. Um, I, I think we were talking earlier about it's a bit chicken and egg for me, which is, um, I think, one of the core behaviours that we need when an owner comes along, is the respect of the dog for the owner. We need dog no to have a relationship. That.
1: There's no trainers that talk about respect. And, and to be honest, that is, it's, a, it's a terrible word because it almost, it almost has the connotation of fear. The dog it's loaded, be, to be honest with uh, yeah. you. It's
0: loaded. And when you've got, um, it's actually probably the biggest fear of many owners who've got this unconditional loving dog dog and you say the dog doesn't respect you that's (laughs) what do i know that's pretty horrible to hear um and you'd rather not believe that and it could make people go well i I don't want to work with you because i don't like the way you talk to me um but it's that shiny thing right it's like if the dog's not even checking in with you if the dog's not looking at you if the dog won't listen to you at any level how are you supposed to train it the,
1: the trouble is we can also have dogs that are uh, listening and obedient because there's something in it for them but that's not related to the respect for the person yes there's not there's not the understanding of where that that dog sits with the manager right so if you use the word manager or leader somebody who's a decision maker um, if that dog isn't aware because the person's inconsistent
0: yeah yeah i
1: think so dogs need boundaries i wrote something down earlier that i'm going to use as a post and um, just want to run it by you uh, okay. and see what you think So the the woman that was in the one of the meeting, the workshop, sorry, her son has oppositional defiant disorder. Mm -hmm. So I was googling it, um, and I was like, "Yeah, this is basically what reactive dogs are." Yep. (laughs) Right, unless it's pain related or there's some, you know, um, issue otherwise. Yep. Um, It's characterized by a pattern of defiant, negative, hostile, and non-compliant behavior that goes against typical behavior. Right. So, persistent pa- pattern of negative, hostile, defiant behaviours, impacting dealing, functioning. Um, so, the exact causes are not fully understood, but a combination of genetic, environmental, psychological, and parent are <laughs> believed to contribute to development. Factors may include family conflict.
0: Why would you tell somebody inconsistent somebody has parenting,
1: that? Trauma. Do- Trauma, behaviour, biological or neurological differences. Well, it's an interesting one because to me, oppositional defiant disorder, you know, from a young age, is that is that just bad parenting?
0: Well, defiant is, just... is such a word, isn't it? I mean, defiant implies that you...
1: Non-compliance. Yeah, it's tricky. tricky. It, it really
0: is. So I'm not sure that if I had that diagnosis for somebody that I would ever tell anybody because... <laughs> I would be like, okay, what am I admitting to here?
1: Well, I guess that person didn't be- doesn't believe like most parents don't believe, and I'm sure that there are going to be children that can't comply. <laughs> it's a very weird word to use. <laughs> I
0: think I think one of the things that happens when somebody's on the spectrum is um, there is an emotional regulation problem. Sure. And that is a much better way to describe it. actually. Yes, and um, this can lead to the extreme tantrum, violence, outburst the, behavior. The difference
1: is that when I take on dogs like that, and I see them not behaving like that within a very short space of time. Exactly. You you um you don't get a chance to do that with children. Take them out of the environment and see how they are. No. Um, but you know it's not a. Is it a disorder if it's in the environment? I suppose it is, because that's the environment that's caused it. Um, but the problem is that no one's taking responsibility for it. It's almost like it, it, just, it just is a thing that came into existence. Exactly.
0: So when you talk disorder, when you talk labels, you're talking um, medication or seeing a specialist or something like that, but you have to just learn to work with that behaviour. It's the same as um, ADHD, to be honest with you. ADHD in kids very often there is a trauma that has led to it. I mean, it can be driven by, you know, too many e-numbers and things like that. You can definitely have... I have spoken to lots of parents who are kind of...
1: I'm going to use the word enlightened, but what I mean is really quite well-educated and, you know, aware of their kid and what their kid's needs are. Um, And rather than going down the diagnosis route with their ADHD children recognising that it probably is ADHD, but putting them to do stuff. yeah. So putting them to sports, putting them to, yeah. you know, doing piano lessons or whatever. Every single night's a different thing. And then they hit teenage years and they level out because they've been doing stuff.
0: Yeah, or they, you know, sometimes you end up with them hitting teenage years and the hormones set everything awry and you end up in a sort of chaos. You know, the people I've known, the kids I've known that have got ADHD have often got complex stuff going on.
1: Yeah, well, I feel like... I, I, you know, it's awful talking about it when you're not—you're not a parent yourself. But I, I do feel like I was a kid once.
0: <laughs> do you?
1: And uh, have you accepted that? Absolutely probably had ADHD. Do you know what I mean? Probably still yeah. do actually. And, like I had way too much sugar before your workshop and I was like Oh yeah, I know what you're like I when could you're not on sugar. Sit still I was like all over the place. I even interrupted you because somebody sent me a
0: thing to watch. I know! You played something out loud. I didn't mean to. It wasn't I know you didn't mean to, but then you were showing it to the person <laughs> next to you. It was like, okay, so I'll take it fine, put it on silent and then you were like, but look at this <laughs> Yes. well it's even
1: funnier because I wasn't I was showing them it was I was showing oh you go on some other subject <laughs> <laughs> somebody had written about the walk because I, I did a educational walk this morning with one of the trainers up here Ashley and um, somebody had written you know it was really good to see their dog off lead for the first time and I was like oh look look at the feedback so yeah I was just pinging yeah. do you know but I recognised that I was pinging but I couldn't I couldn't go out and just uh, what it did move my body but I had to sit so yeah. I was like oh, you know yeah. um and and yeah, it's the recognition of that, right? And what, what do you do with it? But as a kid, I was always getting in trouble. I was always... Clean. Yeah. Luckily, I grew up in a village where I was able to just go out for hours and just okay. climb trees and do crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I put my brother and sister on a donkey one day, like in a field. It's like, here, go on this donkey. <laughs> I didn't even know this donkey. You know, stupid stuff. <laughs> always getting in trouble for doing the right. things. Yeah.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? It's, my reports
1: uh... from school were always... Um, you know, very bright, but not very long attention span. Really, that's I don't, interesting. Don't suppose isn't I? you're surprised at
0: that at all. No, I, I'm not <laughs> really surprised. At it. Mine were always is mature for her age, oh. which is always a really if you if that's you're that's a warning, teacher and yeah, you should like, that's red flags everybody. If you if you feel that a kid's mature for their age, What's going There's at home? very few reasons that somebody's mature for their age. In fact, you know, my my kids always been told to act their age, not older. Don't be older. To the point where at one point, if, um, like I think when they were 13 or so, if somebody that was 14 declared an interest in them, they went, they're a paedophile. Oh my God. <laughs> they year older. <laughs> it was really funny for a while. I think they've leveled out on that now. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting the way we look back on ourselves in our childhood and the behaviours you see. And this is the thing I think that's interesting. So I did an ADHD test ages ago when I was um, researching ADHD for my clients because When I work with clients with stuff, I want to learn about it. I want to learn about the brain. I want to learn how it works. And um, I'm very fortunate in having a a whole range of experiences of my own, so I can usually tap into my own experiences. I am really lucky um, to have so much. And then I have family members who do extra things for me out of the generosity. Like get Um, brain damage. Like get brain damage in a particularly unique way that destroys the negative emotions in the brain.
1: Fascinating. But
0: keeps the memories. So, yeah, awesome. Awesome. Totally awesome.
1: Well, the, the bit that fascinates me about that is that you've got somebody who was addicted to drugs and then methadone his entire life. And now that the negative memories are gone, the requirement for methadone is not there. So the body isn't even going into withdrawal. It's just going, oh, I don't need this. That's, that's mind-blowing. Yeah, I
0: mean, the body, they, they withdrew him from it. on a. I know they'll have done it slowly. Slowly, but the they is, had to tell him. That they were doing he didn't it. He need didn't it. know. He, didn't need it. No. he had no idea. So,
1: I mean, that should be that should be in the fucking news, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. absolutely. There should because be a paper about that. Should, yeah, people should understand that this is um, you know, it's it's the the meaning behind what's happened to us and not the, the the addictions are not things.
0: It's interesting because one of his friends, um, a really brilliant friend who is there with him all the time and is doing all his admin and stuff they're really looking after him in the care home and visiting him all the time. Um really believes that he's going to come back they're going to get his memories back and all that sort of stuff like well well firstly you wouldn't want that secondly i don't think it's physically possible because you'd have to go back and recreate them at that age and you just can't do that the sort of thing that's caused damage the cognitive stuff he'll get back but mostly but that that kind of memory side of things he can't possibly recover but as a result they want him to have grief counseling now, another of his friends who has been doing, again, a super job at working on his cognitive learning goes, he doesn't remember. If you ask him if he, how his mum's doing, he says, she's doing great. I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago. She died two years ago. And he doesn't know that she's dead. So why would you give him grief counselling? You know, why would you do grief? Because all that will happen is you'll have to tell him that his mum's dead. And he'll experience it, and then he'll forget ten minutes later that he's experienced it.
1: Is he he not remembering?
0: He doesn't remember his mum's dad.
1: So if you tell him, he's forgetting?
0: Yeah, if you tell him something, he forgets again. So
1: what's his memory span just now?
0: Um, A couple of minutes. Bloody hell. Yeah, but he's got certain things like muscle memory, so he... So this is
1: his hypothetical? Thalamus. Um, hippocampus. That's hippocampus,
0: yeah. The hippocampus is the database in the brain that stores all the meaning. So that's damaged. So that's damaged. It's, so, also,
1: it's also a problem for. So his short term memory.
0: memory is really buggered. Right. He's, not, he's not recoding stuff properly. So he's not coding his memories in. So he, he was talking to a friend. Um, well, one of these good friends was there and he was saying, oh, I'm off to a concert tonight and I'm doing this. Wow. And they were going, cool, can we meet you there? And his friend had to come on and say, uh, he's not going to a concert tonight, he's in a home. You know, <laughs> He doesn't know any of this stuff. So his short-term memory is not coding anymore. His long-term memories, he has them, but there's no emotion attached to them. So they're all happy. He's dead happy. Um, and his cognitive function... Um, he's still not able, his leg's still buggered, so he's still not able to go up and go to the toilet and things like that. So he's well, he's not there yet, but he is able to use his phone. He can text sometimes, a bit hit and miss. He can answer his phone, a bit hit and miss, but he can do it now. Um, he can play kind of pattern matching card games and things like that, and he's getting better at that. He can write and stuff like that. So he's getting better, um, but that's the cognitive stuff. You can regrow that by repetition and, and by training. But the memory stuff you can't do anything about so his short-term memory is buggered and his long-term memory has lost all the negative emotions attached with it so he doesn't need to escape from that he doesn't need drugs he doesn't need alcohol and it's fascinating it's so we're really speaking interesting about
1: addiction this week He did another little talk this week on addiction and um we were talking about swapping one addiction for another
0: yeah so people tend to say they've got an addictive personality it's a really common thing to hear people say. And they'll quite often say their parent, I've got like one dog lying next to me and one dog just looking at me going, hi, hi. She and now she's hi. wagging her tail really hard because she's <laughs> going, cause I'm going high back and she wants to be really close. I've got a microphone there, you can't do that. Um, so so we talk about that. You know, my parents have an addictive personality. Well, uh, all behaviour serves a purpose and all behaviour has a positive intent. So we do these behaviours for a purpose usually to either create an emotion we can't create without it or to escape from an emotion we can't escape from without that that substance that product that behavior so it's our brain saying i don't want to hurt i'm going to do something to stop the hurt so that's what we mean by serves a purpose and has a positive intent seems really weird to go how can you know drinking until you're unconscious have a positive intent
1: Or even the one for me is the self-harm one. Like, how can that be? Because that's that's harming the body. Yeah, yeah. How
0: can doing damage have a positive intent? But the problem with emotional pain is you can't do anything for it. You can't take a paracetamol and make it go away. You can't stick a plaster on it and heal it. You can't do anything. It's like the itches you get deep down in your ear. You can't reach them. So most of us are never... taught any sort of coping technique how do you cope with negative emotions how do you cope with so is addiction
1: just a plaster for emotional pain
0: it is it is how you cope with emotional pain either by totally drowning it out in some way or creating another feeling it's like how many people might have a couple of drinks when they're going on a social night out especially if they're not particularly fond of social events they might have a couple of drinks so they can feel confident in a different version of themselves how easy is it is it for those couple of drinks to become, you know, I'll have a, a, a bottle of wine or a couple of glasses of wine at the end of every day because I need to relax and I need to feel calmer. And I need to just switch off, put my feet up. How easy is it for that to then become a bottle of wine every night and see all the bottles at the end? And it's not an alcoholism thing. It's that you're using alcohol as the way of switching off and relaxing. It's creating a feeling that you can't get without it. You become dependent on it. And So when people say, I have an addictive personality, what it means is you have a need to escape from a feeling or create a new feeling and you do whatever's necessary. And so the example I always give is smoking. Um, Most people, uh, when they smoke, they worry about giving up because they put weight on. Well, if smoking was an appetite suppressant, there would have been banners everywhere saying, smoke more, lose weight, right? When they could advertise it. It's not an appetite suppressant, but smoking serves a purpose. You stop smoking and you still have that need. So you do the next thing that you can do, which is usually eat.
1: So swapping
0: one thing for for another. So it's not addictive personality. It's that you've got an underlying problem. And if you don't do something, it won't go away. So um, nail biting, you know, we can stop nail biting, but what do we do instead? Hair pulling, you know, all these things. Most people will try and stop them to get over them. But if you've still got a problem, then what happens? So in in Scotland, there was a ban, probably in the whole of the UK now, to ban parents from smoking in cars when there's kids in it. Totally makes sense. Absolutely, you know, in in a contained area, drowning your kids in smoke, not a good idea. But when you think about when would a parent light up their cigarette when they're driving? Probably when they're getting stressed, right? Kids are screaming in the back. Somebody's cut them up. They'll light up a cigarette to calm themselves down. Right, now you say you can't do that thing that calms you down what are you supposed to do instead? <laughs> Yell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So nobody said we're supposed to just be able to stop behaviours. And so that's why we think we have addictive personalities, because we're trying to stop behaviours without working out why we're doing them in the first it's place. it's
1: impossible to stop a behaviour on your own because of the dopamine
0: and the... Dopamine gives you a reward for a doing something, <laughs> right? Dopamine is not rewarding you for not doing something. You can't get any sort of reward. You can't grow a pathway for not doing something. Well, it's an
1: interesting one, because whenever I ask people, you've heard this before... Math, um, but what would you like the dog to do instead of attacking or growling yeah, or lunging? Go. Just I not do it. I just not do it. And that's not a behaviour. What would you like the dog yeah. to do that he can actually do? Just just stop. Doing, <laughs> it's like yeah. drawing blood from a stone.
0: You have to pat and interrupt and then you have to do something instead. That's reinforceable and then, by the brain. Yeah. And then the, the brain can recognise we're doing it and give you a reward for. And so we can't get a reward for not doing something. It's like when people um, are trying to diet. I'm not going to eat any chocolate. I'm not going to eat any cakes. Okay. Your brain can't handle a negative, so not eat chocolate becomes chocolate, 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 chocolate. chocolate. Oh, suddenly I'm fine, I'm eating chocolate. <laughs> right? So so this whole dopamine, this whole pathway has to be something that exists, not something that doesn't exist.
1: So I'm going to send you something that um, I came across earlier that I think you're going to find super interesting. It was um, written by a trainer um, and I'm just going to try and find it because it's super difficult to do this at the same time Um maybe I won't end up finding it um, so the trainer had written for reactive dog try reinforcing um, doing the, the negative behaviour and then eventually swap to reinforcing the positive behaviour right. right. now I kind of get it but your average person and I'm going to describe what I get The average person is going to go this makes no sense. Like why would you be, trainers as well? Why would you be reinforcing something that's um right, I've got it here. So just read this just now. Um while I'm talking and I'll just describe more.
0: I, I'm not sure I can do that without losing my thing. Oh, okay.
1: Well you just... um so I'll I'll just read it to you then. So <laughs> cool. Five year old Beagle Mix Lola over the past three years been attacked five times by off leash dogs before these incidents was occasionally barked or pulled. But now acting very aggressively, she's backing and lunging towards cars as well. Nothing we can do to stop her. She's fixating. Typically, she's a dog. Typically, she's a dog? Oh, God. Never mind. Anyway, get the gist, right? Picture of Lola. The trainer says, we're often told to wait for good behaviour. So you wait for the good behaviour, then you reinforce it, right? Right, okay. Yep. Yep. but sometimes you won't get that good behaviour because there's no break. There's yep. the dog fixating the entire time until, that, yep. until the stimulus is gone, right? Try feeding your dog for behaviours you don't like and then change to only rewarding for what you do like. Okay. So super confusing. So yes. let, me, let me describe my, my, my take from this and, and where I think that um, what we should be thinking about instead. So maybe Skinner was wrong. Maybe, and it's not maybe, it's, you know, an absolute. When we do a thing the thing itself becomes reinforcing. So yes. we do a thing again and again. So I had an epiphany a few months ago where, I think I mentioned it before, um, I was getting Justin to jump over my arm. And every time I asked him, to, it was too high, so every time I asked him to do it with the food, he went under. And Even though I didn't reinforce him with food, the actual doing of the behaviour made him keep doing it. So I had to switch, you know, I had to put yep. my, my arm lower and go back a step. Um, because if I keep even if he keeps failing and doing the wrong thing, yep. that will be reinforced. Yep. So we get, as trainers, we get obsessed with using a reinforcers. Yep. But actually, the doing of the thing is the reinforcing. Yes. So when I say maybe Skinner was wrong, it's because we're, you know, I say obsessed, but we're constantly looking for motivating factors. And all we really need to do is create the situation where that behavior can happen.
0: Does yes, which is why sometimes an external
1: reinforcer.
0: Sometimes you provoke a behaviour, and provoke is a loose word here. It's not a kind of not negative, not yeah. a negative, because by interrupting well, set up or manage, yeah, or manage yeah you it set, well, set up so it, set up. You, you kind of set up a behaviour. So you might talk about um, if you've got a dog that's counter surfing, you might set it up so there's the a block of cheese or something on the counter, and then you hide and watch it, and then when you, it goes for it, that you interrupt that behaviour with a better choice. And, and that's the thing, interrupt and create new pathway. Interrupt existing pathway, the create new one. at
1: that point is the dog not doing the behaviour yeah. you didn't want him to do. So that's, I think that's what she means, but she's not writing it in a way that we're talking about. I think that's what she means. Um, and, I, and I understand that, that the, the reinforcing um, of the other, the alternate behaviour, so when the dog's eating, for example, in that situation with Lola the reactive dog, yep. if she's eating at all, we're reinforcing her for not lunging and barking. Yes. The problem is that sometimes it's not about food being the reinforcer.
0: Yes. And yeah, and the dog doesn't know, right? So um I think I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, which is a dog barking, a dog biting, a dog chasing doesn't know that any of those things are bad. It's a very natural dog Especially thing to do.
1: You know, innate behaviors. If they're innate
0: behaviors, they're fixed actions. So, um, so you saying no is like kind of confusing. So, they're not stupid. They can learn that every time they do this particular behaviour, they get shouted at or something for it. But all they're going to try and do is avoid getting caught doing it because it's still an innate behaviour to them. That's
1: what I'm getting, right? Because I watched someone the other day in Starbucks um, and I'm not kidding. She must have pushed the dog off the table, off her lap about 20 times. Right. Were you there?
0: No, I don't think I was there for that one.
1: Um, no, no, you weren't, because um, she was pushing the dog off, pushing the dog off, and we we're talking about something, that, you know, we're talking about charity stuff, so it was nothing to do with dog training, and it wasn't really my place at that time. Yes. Maybe it was, but <laughs> I'm, never, I'm never off, right? Yes, um, it's
0: true.
1: I didn't feel like at that time that I wanted to be, you know, helping her understand what she was doing, because she was successfully getting the dog off each time. But the point was that he kept doing the behaviour. Yes. So he's reinforcing the jumping because he's doing it, even though she's saying, "Please stop doing that!" Pushing off, pushing off, yeah. pushing off. So um, the, the interesting point in this is two reasons. Most owners are just nagging their dog to yes. stop and actually not realising that by allowing it to happen, that's reinforcing. Yes. So even if you spend a year avoiding dogs, and every couple of weeks he manages to see a dog and lunge out and you're like, that's okay, it only happened once in two weeks. Yep. You're still reinforcing that. So what yep. you need to be doing is giving yourself an understanding of how to stop that every yes. time and create the new one. And
0: what do you want to do instead, right? Yes. I don't want it to lunge. So... The, it's not enough to say I don't want it to do it, because our brains don't reward the absence of something, they only reward the presence of something.
1: Yes, and, and the humans, they want me to tell them how to stop the dog, yep. but they don't want to put the work in to get the new behaviour happening. Yep. This is my, my
0: problem, is convincing them that actually,
1: yeah, I can show you how to stop that behaviour in an instant, and you need to keep stopping that behaviour, but you have to work really hard to get that new behaviour happening as a as a as yep. an um, mm-hmm. alternate. So, Anyway, the pushing off with the dog and Starbucks. Um, as I say, it happened twenty, thirty times. And it ended with the dog going for her. Did it? Because, of course, eventually he got pissed off. Yeah. Because I'm being reinforced with this and you're stopping me. Yeah. And I'm getting annoyed now. And she was like, oh, he's just wanting out because he's tired. I need to take him away. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, he escalated and had a wee argument with her. And I was like, oh, interesting. I haven't <laughs> seen this from this dog before. Yeah. That's super interesting. And I'm not sure... It's just saw so why you right. escalate it. Yeah. Because you know, we always find patterns and excuses. We do. You know, that's what I get all the time. It right? probably so... was out
0: of the blue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 I was just about to go to you, what? <laughs> like, ah, she's being sarcastic again. The
0: queen of sarcasm. Actually, you sometimes need to translate for me from sarcasm. <laughs> I really need to learn to get better at this because sometimes I'm people unnecessarily like, sarcastic. And like, <laughs> like really earlier, like Jess was going, she's being sarcastic. Really mean Somebody that? was asking for a lollipop off the table that I'd just put a pile of lollipops in front of them. It's like, all right, if I have one, I'm like, well, actually, they're there just to be in the pile. <laughs> and this person stopped. I didn't expect them to stop. And just when she's being sarcastic, it was like, oh, all right, okay. I'm like, okay. Well, sometimes I think it's obvious I'm being sarcastic, <laughs> and it really isn't.
1: So, um, yeah, most donors, in my experience, are, like, the same with the e-collar use, right? So the e-collar's the, the way to stop the dog, but actually you're not educating the dog at all you're just you're just annoying the dog yeah Um. you're not getting the point and dogs should never do the behavior again because you've provided this really cool alternate behavior
0: yeah it's like um it's like if you've got a wasp right and it keeps coming at you and you swat it away you swat it away and you swat it away but if you're sitting there with a a sweet i'm not
1: a swatter i'm a killer
0: yeah, me too. Kill um, so, Well, <laughs> not in dogs. <laughs> or in humans.
1: Well, behaviour, not the animal. Yes. Kill the behaviour.
0: So, uh, you know, you might be sat there with a, a glass of, um, you know, orange juice or something like that. That's a really sweet smelling thing that's appealing. And a wasp comes... That's a
1: really good analogy, right? Because a lot of people will remove the sweet thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the wasp is going, I want the sweet thing, I want the sweet thing, I want the sweet thing. And you're like, I don't like the wasp keeping on coming in.
1: So you're gonna, some people are going to swat them. Some people.
0: Swat. You're going to uh, get rid of the
1: sweet thing, because that's what's attracting you. Yep, yep. And some people are going to kill the wasp. Yep. <laughs> or remove the wasp, right? Yep. <laughs> get them wasp
0: there was a story when I was a kid. Um, I don't know if you remember it. I can't remember what it was called, but it basically involved them getting a giant slice of bread. The bakers got together and made a giant slice of bread yep, and they awesome. made, they got a factory and they made giant jam and they put it in a field to get all this warmer flies to go to this giant, everybody, there'll be some people listening, go, yeah, I remember that. And other people going, what the heck are you talking about? Like the look on your face. And it was a, it was a kid's story and it just involved using um, the deflection of a giant piece of bread and jam to get these flies to go nowhere near the village or something like that. Same kind of thing, right? The wasp catchers work on, um, well, they work on, you know, kind of honey honey water or something in the thing where they go in to get it and they can't get back out again. Um, because it's appealing to the innate behavior of the wasp, which is to seek out the pollen, the sweet thing, whatever. That's fair. So, and it's the same thing, right? So we're kind of going, when we tell a dog, don't bark, don't bite, whatever, we're just saying, stop doing the thing. And we expect them to understand because we told them to stop it. But it's an innate behaviour.
1: Can I tell you where my ADHD brain went there?
0: Go on then. Oh, we've got an ADHD brain now. We're taking the label. Okay. Here we go.
1: It <laughs> doesn't define me, Dawn. Okay, good. i <laughs> just gonna use an excuse. I bet my
0: ADHD brain is way more ADHD than your brain. <laughs> if we took a test, I'd beat you every time.
1: Oh my God. If you took these two giant sandwiches on either side of the world, like one in Australia and one in Canada, yeah. would the world be a sandwich?
0: it would be a world way. sandwich, right? Because you get confused, right? Because the sandwich is defined by the thing that's in the middle of the two pieces of bread, isn't it? Because sometimes people say it's like uh, a sandwich sandwich or something. But anyway, sandwich sandwich? There, was, there was there was a radio, there was a, a segment on the radio and they were talking about where you made like the, instead of bread, you used ham or something. And they were saying it's a ham sandwich. <laughs> it's not because the sandwich is defined by the thing that's in the middle of it, not the bread. Probably confused everybody on that one, now.
1: So what you're saying is that you can't make a sandwich out of other things. So if I like used um, pancakes, two pancakes, and yep. then had like some bacon and, and maple syrup in the middle, it would wouldn't... still
0: be a bacon sandwich. Would it? It wouldn't be a pancake sandwich. You'd be inclined to say it's a pancake sandwich because I'm using pancakes to make it. Yeah. But actually, it's the thing that's in the middle that defines the sandwich, not the things that you use to make it.
1: It's some really good quality content on this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but there's people there kind of going. yeah but hang on what happens if <laughs> well,
1: tell us your, tell us <laughs> we're at 55 your minutes
0: this seems like a perfect place to end such a deep <laughs> and meaningful podcast as the fire is burning the dogs are asleep i have a pile of daxies next to me legs is all snuggled up now she's finished chewing her toy on my shoulder bonsai's on top of her tristan's just lying on the That's floor it's a nice
1: peaceful picture isn't it it is
0: quite peaceful actually what they're all quite dogmas. peaceful
1: well, this has been interesting.
0: <laughs> so thank you for joining us on our peaceful um, podcast in working the retreat. Zen cottage that has Namaste and everything. Yes, yeah, so our working retreat. Jess, working do you want to come
1: away for a couple of days? A holiday?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it'd be a really good idea. So I got asked to come up here and do this talk. And actually, all through my talking career, I've always had what I call groupies. I've always had a friend that comes with me. Groupies. Groupies. I've always had friends that come groupies? with me. Yes. I know. Well, here's what happens. So I'm like, this would be really cool because Jess could come up to Bucky with me. Um, We could do interesting things like the podcast. She could catch up with some of the trainers that are up here and this would be really cool. So she could come to my talk and my workshop and then she could do other stuff and it would be company, etc, etc. So the next thing, Jess and I are driving up here separately. (laughs) Jess is bringing the dogs because she's organised walks and things like that and isn't even coming to the talk. The
1: trainers asked me. I did a walk last night. I walked this morning. And i got a massage and stretching workshop tomorrow.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm heading home tomorrow and leaving into that one. So, yeah, but that was, that's fine. Yeah. It's been nice. It has been nice. It's been lovely here in Cullen with the uh, sea and the hills and the sunshine and the snoozing dogs. And on that note, good night. Good night. <laughs>